Father, thank you for this place, uh, Lord, for the freedom to worship you, Lord, uh, Lord, to, uh, to pour our hearts out, to cry if we need to, to rejoice if that's where you have us, Lord, to, to be in a place of repenting, and God, wherever you have each of us, Lord, we just thank you that you've given us a place where we can be that, and you can minister to each of us, Lord, that, uh, Lord, that this is like a hospital, and, and you're here, Lord, to mend up the broken and the, and the downtrodden and the lame, Lord, to, to give the, the withered man back his hand, Father, to take the man who is lame for 30-odd years, Lord, and cause him to get up. God, that's, we love that you reveal yourself in a compassionate and merciful and gracious way, Lord, that, to those who would love you, God. Even those who don't need, know they need the, the love that you have to offer, you still you offer that to them, God. And so again, Lord, we thank you for this place. I thank you for my brothers and sisters, God. I thank you for the fellowship that you've created and are creating here in South Philly, Lord. I thank you for that camaraderie, Lord, that oneness, Lord. I thank you, Lord, for your spirit moving in our midst, God. I thank you that, uh, Lord, though there's seemingly nothing redeemable in us, Lord, you still paid the ultimate price. And so, Father, we lift this night up. We pray that you give us each our portion according to the ability you've caused in us. Lord, we pray, Holy Spirit, that you take the things that are of Christ and you reveal them to us. Again, wherever we're at, whether we need to be encouraged or corrected, whether we need to be instructed or chastised, Lord, whatever it is that you have, Lord, whether we're in a season of mourning, we need comfort, God. Uh, You know where each of us is, Lord, so we lift this night up to you, Father. Again, we pray that Lord Jesus, you might be glorified. That's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Starting in verse 12 of chapter 4, Matthew writes, Now when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he departed to Galilee, and leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is by the sea, in the regions of Zebulun and Naphtali that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light, and upon those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light has dawned. So from that time... Jesus began to preach and say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, or the kingdom of heaven is drawn near. And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter, and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, because they were fishermen. Then he said to them, Follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. Then his fame went throughout all Syria, and they brought to him all sick people 
who were afflicted with various diseases and torments and those who were demon-possessed and epileptics and paralytics, and he healed them. And great multitudes followed him from Galilee and from Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond. And what's interesting from Matthew chapter 4, verse 11 to verse 12, is about a year gap there. Most of us, I didn't even know that until I was studying. <laughs> There's a year gap, and you can find what's happening there between John chapter 1, verse 35, and John chapter 4, verses 43. That's basically the picture of what's going on there in that year gap. And I'll just give you some highlights of those verses. You don't have to write them down or go there. But from that time, between verse 11 and 12 of Matthew chapter 4, Jesus, through John's gospel, he, he goes and he sees Andrew and Peter, Philip and Nathaniel, and another disciple that we don't have the name of. And these guys begin to follow the Lord. But obviously, as we saw here, and we're going to build that picture, Peter and Andrew go back to fishing. So you have that that goes on. You have the marriage feast at Cana. You guys know the story. He turns water into wine. It's, it's every alcoholic's favorite story that God loves alcohol. Yeah, he turned the water into wine. I can drink, right? Then you have the Passover and Jesus cleansing the temple. Um, the first time he cleanses the temple. You have Nicodemus going to Jesus at night. And you have some of the most famous verses in the Bible, right? He tells him in 3.3, 3, he says, Most assuredly I say to you, unless a man's born again, he can't even perceive the kingdom of God. He corrects him. And then you have, obviously, John 3.16 there. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish, would have everlasting life. Because he didn't send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him would be saved. So these are the things you have going on in there. You have John and Jesus baptizing. And John's disciples are like, yo, Jesus and his guys are baptizing too. And there's kind of a quarrel, but not really. They're like, what's the deal here? And John makes it abundantly clear that he needs to begin to decrease so that Jesus can increase. Because he was the coming one. John wasn't. John was the one coming to prepare the way of this coming one. And then you have that infamous story of the Samaritan woman at the well who had five husbands, and the man she was with at that point wasn't her husband at all. And Jesus revealing himself to her. And so that's the picture that we have kind of in between those verses, which bring us right here to verse 12, because all of the points of the gospel, as you read through Matthew's gospel, just something to put in your memory, Matthew writes topically. So if you read through Matthew's Gospel, it doesn't mean that when you start in chapter 1, verse 1, and get all the way to the end, that everything is in numerical or chronological order. Matthew jumps around in his Gospel. But as you get to this part of Matthew chapter 4, verse 12, and you go through all the other Gospels where they end up here, this is where it converges because it, it marks a date. John challenges Herod the Tetrarch about who he's sleeping with, who his wife is, because it's his brother's wife. And he gets put in prison. And you guys know the story. Then John gets beheaded eventually. But so verse 12 really sets the stage for us for where we stand at. So we're a year later after verse 11. Jesus hears, it says there in verse 12, if you guys look, that John has been in prison. And it says, so then he goes to Galilee. And I'll break it all down for you here. So it says, now when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, 
He departed to Galilee, and the first half of verse 13 says, and leaving Nazareth. And so Jesus hears John was in prison in Galilee, and he heads there, and he leaves his hometown of Nazareth. What's important, because it's going to really kind of bridge these two ideas tonight. The topic of tonight's study, and I'll break down all these rest of these verses, is has light come to you? Because you're going to see something that you don't particularly see right here, but we'll build the picture there. Jesus leaves Nazareth. He's there. He reads the scroll. He's telling the people. They're saying, man, we've never heard anybody speak like this. You guys can, on your own, go read Mark chapter, chapter 6, verses 1 through 6 is really the, where it's happening. And But then they say, but yeah, but isn't that Joseph's son? And so there's like this picture of like, yeah, God has come or something's different. This guy's speaking different. It sounds different. It looks different. But we know him. That's Joseph's son. And Jesus builds the picture there that a prophet is not without honor except in his own home and by his own kindred, by his own people. No matter what you do, and you guys know what it looks like, the, the least influence I've ever had in my life was on my family. The privilege to speak to a stranger and watch their life change. And yet can say the same thing to my brother or the same thing to my mother or the same thing to my sister and nothing. Because they say, I know you, Mike. Mike. Come on. You were smoking crack when you were 16. What are you talking about? You know? What do you mean? And so it's, it's difficult in that place. But it doesn't tell us to not bear light, period. So Jesus... He leaves Nazareth here because he hears that John has been imprisoned by Herod, which was in Galilee. And it's interesting. We don't know why he goes there, but you look at the picture. Jesus then heads north into Galilee from Nazareth. And you have this whole picture as we go through here. Jesus gets there. Matthew tells us that the whole reason that he goes there is to fulfill the scripture from Isaiah chapter 9. That in regards to Zebulun and Naphtali, those were two northern tribes in the original nation of Israel. And I'm giving you guys a bunch of information. Keep it. Do whatever you want with it. But it's a very interesting picture. They were two of the first tribes to get carried away into captivity because of disobedience. They didn't honor God. They wouldn't listen to God. And so they get carried away. And Matthew refers to the region of Galilee as the place of Naphtali and Zebulun, which is the actual territory where it is. And he says, Jesus went there to fulfill the prophecy that though they sat in darkness, though they were sitting in the dust of death, that great light would shine in that place. This is 700 years before that. That Isaiah is saying, there's going to be this light that comes into that land, even though it was dark and it was never restored. Listen, by this point, when you get into the area of Galilee, the majority of it, though it's a, though it's a Jewish place, is Gentile. And so totally fulfilling the scripture. There was over 204, you know, scholars go back and forth, 204 villages with about 15,000 citizens in each village. There was 3 million people in this region of Galilee sitting in darkness without truth, no influence of God, no influence of covenant. And Jesus goes there. And so when he gets there, I'll break it. You guys can go to verse 17. It says, from that time. So Jesus gets there. It says, and he began to preach and to say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The word kingdom there means the authority or the person of heaven. It, the idea is 
Jesus shows up there. It's a place of darkness. He's the man of light. And he's saying, you guys need to turn. That's what he began to say. He didn't say, come here, let me put on a sideshow for you. Let me do all these wonderful things. He eventually does those things. But the first thing that he says, and he goes about all the region there, is you guys need to repent. Because the kingdom, the authority of heaven has drawn near. And then the scene jumps to, to James and John and Peter and Andrew. And there's these fishermen. And they're doing their job. They had already met Jesus before they went back to fishing. And Jesus finds them. He finds Peter and Andrew casting their nets trying to catch fish. He says, he says leave your nets. I'm going to make you fishers of men. And it says they left immediately. They left their nets to follow Jesus. He comes, to, he comes to James and John. They're mending their nets. And we'll look at a different picture later on of these guys and their character and how God calls them. He tells them to leave what they're doing. It says immediately they left with their, their father and what they were doing and followed Jesus. And then those last verses there, it says, And Jesus went about all of Galilee. So he goes around to all these three million people. And it says he's teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing all kinds of sicknesses. And then it goes through what all those look like. But that's the, that's the picture we have here. Matthew is a topical preacher, is, is the idea. He's writing topically. He meshed the, these guys mending their nets and casting their nets and leaving everything right in the middle of Jesus going to this dark place where darkness has been for hundreds of years. No covenant, no promise, fulfilling the promise that light would come into that place. And so for us, the scary part, that region of Capernaum, Naphtali, Zabulon, right? The cities where Jesus went to bear testimony of light, where he performed all these miracles, where he preached the gospel, where he did all this stuff at. In less than two years, and I'll read these verses to you. You don't have to turn there. I will. But in Matthew chapter 11, less than two years later, this same Jesus says this in chapter 11, verses 20 to 24 about that region. Then he began to rebuke the cities in which most of his mighty works had been done. Because they did not repent. And he says, woe to you, Chorazin, which is a city right there. Woe to you, Bethsaida, which is a city right there. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon the day of judgment than, than for you. And he says, you, Capernaum. Capernaum was his home base in Galilee. It was where Peter lived. It was where a lot of these guys functioned out of. It was like, go out and do ministry, then come back here. Home base. And all of these mighty works and all of this preaching and all of the following of Jesus happening right in front of their face. It wasn't done in a corner where nobody saw it. It was done right in front of them. Yet in less than two years, this same Jesus is pronouncing a woe upon them. Look, the last thing, if I'm praying, I want to hear God say is, whoa, Mike. I'm like, all right, Lord, what's the deal here? But he pronounces a burden on them. And he tells them, he doesn't say you didn't see the works that I did. He doesn't say you didn't hear the words that I said. He says, you didn't repent. You saw the stuff. 
We, we, we tend to say because we didn't live in the day that Jesus walked on the earth. If I would have saw, right? If I was there, if I saw the blind guy receive a sight, if I saw the withered arm go like this and he got his hand back, if I saw the lame man pick up his bed and walk, I would believe. And yet there's, a, there's 200 cities of 300, of, of 3 million people who don't repent. I'm sure there's some in there, but he's talking about the city at large, right? Just like Sodom and Gomorrah, Lot and his family came out, but everybody else. All the works, all the miracles, all the preaching. So that's part of the picture tonight. It's why the question, has light come to you? Because it's not a matter of, does your boy get sober and saved and his whole life changes? You know, we don't lack for opportunity of seeing God at work. We live in a land where we have the freedom to proclaim and to see the goodness of God pour out. We have all of the luxury of Christendom. We have all of the books we could read. We see all of the people getting saved. You see all of the stuff. But what do you do with it? That's the question. What do I do with it? Because this is a city, a group of people, when you look at the whole region, who sat in darkness for a long time. Light came to the hill. Miracle after miracle. Demon possessed, cast out. The word of God himself preaching the word of God to the people. And yet in less than two years, a woe pronounced on the danger of that. The beauty is where there's life, there's hope, right? Has light come? I can't answer that question for you. I know the answer for me. The glory of God came. I was reduced to nothing. The glory of God comes. I'm still reduced to nothing. But the question is for you and I. What do you do with it? If you're a believer. I'm sure some of those people... They heard and saw. Look, I sat for three weeks before I gave my life to Christ. And I'm so thankful he gave me the courage to get up that week. Fighting. I know, but. What? I know, but. I was arguing with a visible person. (laughs) Now, that was part of the course for me up until that point, by the way. I loved talking to myself out loud and answering myself. And knowing your thoughts for you, too. Uh, but that's a big question. I don't care if you've seen the works. Praise God. Because that's who he is. Has light come to you? Have you been sitting in a place of darkness and light has dawned? Do something about it. Let him in. Him and the Father that come and make their home with you. Inside. But there's also a danger to that. Because these people had year after year after experience after experience after experience. And yet he says to them, man. And you guys know the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, right? God judged the city. He sent fire and brimstone and burned that city up. He said, if they would have saw the things that you saw, they would have repented long ago. They would have changed. Again, some of the biggest places of contempt are right in the middle of watching God work. You watch your friend get saved. You watch your parents get saved. You watch your sibling get saved. And instead of saying like, man, something needs to change in me, you get contemptible in your heart. You say, yeah, well, whatever. I'll change someday. 
you know, something, and I'm being straight up with you guys, the, 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 the musician, and I don't really even listen to him, but Toby Mac lost his son, right? 21 years old, fentanyl and cocaine. And, and I don't, it, it has pierced my soul. I can't even listen to it without crying, for real. Because that kid that day thought today wasn't the day. You understand? Light had come. His father's preaching the gospel all over the place, singing Jesus songs. And it sat right in front of him all day. And what? There's a danger. Romans chapter 1 says this. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Notice, who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. God isn't looking to get us because we fail. That's why he sent his son to die. It's when light comes and you suppress it. You say, no, 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 no. Yeah, I hear you, but. Right? Yeah, that sounds good. I mean, man, God, you've been drawing my heart, but maybe I'll go next week. I'll go up there. Lord, you really put, I know I've been, been faking the funk spiritually, and I know all the Jesus words and can quote verses, but there's nothing real in me. And I hope if that's you tonight, light has come. I had no idea I was going to teach like three hours ago. I hope light has come. Because it's, important. it's the most important thing that will ever happen in your life. Jesus sat in those cities and did miracle after miracle. And yet he cast them down because they wouldn't repent. But he says the wrath of God is revealed because they suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Professing themselves, I'm just jumping around, to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into the image of likeness of corruptible man with birds and beasts and four-footed animals and creeping things. And it says this, and this is the scariest thing I've ever read. Therefore, God also gave them up to all the things that they want. If you've ever felt like that. I want to do this, I want to do this, I want to do this, and then God says, then do it. And then you're like, oh no. Right? There's a danger there. These cities, you know, and again, most of them you think, well, wow, that's really cool. Jesus went there and he did all that stuff. But then you fast forward two years, they reject, they basically reject everything that happened. Jesus would say in relationship to feeding the people, it says he didn't commit himself to them because he knew what was in man. They didn't not believe that he could give them bread again. They full-heartedly believed, Jesus is going to give me bread again. Yet he was saying, no, I'm the bread of life. I'm going to give you something more than just your temporary satisfaction. I can give you eternal life. Yeah, we want temporary satisfaction. Yeah, God, take away my drug abuse, but let me do everything else I want to do. Lord, take away my, my issues with porn. Take away, we give God the compartments, right? God, do this for me and, and whatever else I'm going to do myself. But he wants you. He doesn't want just a piece. He wants all of you. He wants me. Not just a piece. Has light come to you? Has it come? Verses 18 through 22 show these four guys who light also came to. They were in the middle of their profession in the mundane, doing their job. And the glory of God showed up in Jesus Christ. And he said to them, drop your nets. And I'm going to make you fishers of men. He tells James and John, 
let the nets go. They're fixed in the nets. And it says for both of those groups of brothers, immediately, they stop what they were doing and they follow Jesus. Immediately. You know what's interesting about these guys? They're the same as you and I. For real. There was nothing spectacular or special. They were blue-collar workers. They were dockmen, right? They tried to catch fish for a living. I always thought it should have been called catching, because that's the only thing I like to do, not fishing. You sit there for three hours, you're like, this is terrible. <laughs> i got to listen to me think the whole time. That's just not good. <laughs> but there another picture of light has come to, right? Jesus also came to them. And, and the difference was how they responded. Immediately, they stopped what they were doing and they followed him. Immediately. Look, for you and I, it's not rocket science. I'm sure you can put together the rest of the picture of what I'm saying. Has light come to you? And if it has, what have you done with it? Because you sit here tonight, I sit here tonight. The, the verses I read earlier out of Lamentations chapter 3... If you need to repent and get your heart right because you know the Lord, light has come and you've turned to darkness rather than light, then do it. His mercies are new every morning. He's, he's, his compassions fail not. He delights in it. He's a good father. He wants to give you the beauty and the riches of his kingdom. It starts in our own heart. Or has light come and you don't know the Lord? You say to God, yeah, but... Sure, at some point I will. I will. Just not yet. That's dangerous. It, for two years for them, sign after sign after wonder after message, it doesn't just say he did stuff, it says he preached the gospel of the kingdom. The word of God, speaking the word of God to the people that needed God. And in less than two years, he says, woe to you guys. If the stuff that happened where you were happened in Sodom and Gomorrah, they would have changed. They would have changed. And then you have this other picture of these guys. He doesn't say or do any of that stuff. He just says, guys, come with me. They drop everything they're doing. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 onward say this. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. He says, I'll destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where's the wise? Where's the scribe? Where's the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. He says, for the Jew, they request a sign, and the Greeks, they want wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. To the Jew, it's a stumbling block, right? And to the Greek, it's foolish. All I'm saying to you tonight is if light has come to you, receive him. He'll forgive you and wash you clean of your sin. He'll take your old life and give you a brand new one. Christian born-again believers have the most dynamic place in all the earth. You get to live two lives in one lifetime. 
Two lives. I was a, a lost scumbag junkie. I would steal your grandmother's, who's dead's jewelry off her neck. I didn't care. And get saved, and he gives me compassion and newness and freshness and the ability to live honorably and integrally in my life. That's unbelievable to me. Never had a bank account, never had a legitimate relationship, never owned a car, never had a license. All of those things. But more importantly, was lost and on my way to hell for sure. Already knew that. And promised me new life and eternal life with him forever in the riches of his kingdom. That's what we have access to. The picture. Where do you stand tonight? The gospel of Christ, it's foolishness, it says there in 1 Corinthians, is those who are perishing. So if you think Mike is an idiot, I can't believe they dragged me to this Bible study tonight. It sounds so dumb. That message of the cross is foolishness because you're in the process of perishing and you know it. But if it's life, if you're like, man, I don't really know what he's talking about, but I want in. I want a brand new life. That means you're in the process of believing. So I want to ask two questions tonight, and Yared can come up to sing a last song. The first one is, if you don't know Christ, I don't want to close out this night without giving the opportunity I'm not talking about do you go to Bible studies? Are you involved in a church? I'm not talking about any of the religious activities you may do. Is Jesus Christ your personal Savior and Lord? Has there been a transaction that took place? You said, I'm a sinner and I need to be saved. I need forgiveness. If there's anybody here tonight, I want to give that opportunity to come forward. I also have a second question. If light has come to you and you you know Christ and you've rejected it for some time now and you want to rededicate your life tonight, you want to say, you know what, Lord, I'm tired of doing me. I want to do what you want. I want to be like, like Peter and Andrew and James and John. I want to stop everything that I'm doing and say, yes, Lord, I'll follow you. If that's you tonight, I'd ask you to come forward. Father, we thank you for this place. For your goodness, God, Lord, for the fact that we know that your word never returns void. Lord, just like the rain pours forth and causes the ground to bud and give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, Lord, so does your word. Father, this is such a privilege for us, a place to worship you and venerate you freely, God. And to to attempt, Lord, to lift our hands with a pure heart, clean hands, and bless your name, Lord. So, Father, we lift up the rest of this night to you, Lord. We pray that you would receive the sacrifice of our praise right now, Lord. God, we pray that you bless the food and the fellowship afterwards, Lord. We pray, Father, that you continue to change us and mold us and shape us after your image and likeness, Lord. It's in your name we pray, Jesus.